Are you a real estate investor looking to elevate your income, freedom, and lifestyle? If so, optimize your daily performance by downloading our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits at elevatepod.com. In this guide created by yours truly, you'll learn why you do what you do, how to easily institute cues in your environment to trigger desired behavior, directly applicable steps to create a fulfilling future, and much more. Get your free copy now at elevatepod.com and kickstart your new habits today. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I am blessed and grateful to be sitting with the great Michael Flight today. Today, you're going to learn about blockchain and real estate. You're also going to learn, you are going to learn about cryptocurrency. You're going to learn about tokenization in real estate. You're going to learn about Bitcoin and the use case there. You're also going to learn about triple net lease retail properties. You're going to learn more about investing in retail properties and how the combination of these things can help you achieve greater senses of financial freedom, lasting sense of financial freedom, and perhaps, by the way, political freedom. I mean, at the end of the day, we are experiencing a vastly changing world. And, um, you know, we might have some keys for you today to create more stability, more options in your life and uh, more safety in your future. So I hope you enjoy this. I hope you buckle up because today's episode is phenomenal. Elevate podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion and personal development for high performing real estate investors. Today is no different. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and high performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits and multifaceted expertise of world class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. Before we dive into this episode, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening. We, my team, myself, I am so grateful for you. So thankful that you've taken time out of your day to invest in yourself. So we want to treat that with the most importance of providing tremendous value for you today. We just ask that you pay the fee and that is to share this episode with one person. All you got to do is grab that link, send it a text message, send it on social media, share it on social media, send it an email, whatever you have to do, mention the podcast, just pay the fee today. If you've already done that in the past, thank you so much. It is so critical for our growth and it's actually, it's working in such an amazing way. We are so grateful for all the new folks that are listening and folks that have been listening for years. Um, you are important to us. You're part of this movement, Elevate Nation. You are Elevate Nation. And uh, we together are powerful and uh, there's nothing that we cannot do in our life. So just want to encourage you to pay that fee. I want to thank you for paying that fee. I want to thank you for giving us a rating, giving us a rating review and subscribing or following Elevate Podcast and wherever it is that you listen or watch podcasts. All of that is so important to us and uh, so important to you as well, because we're going to continue to bring massive, massive value. With all that said, I want to thank you again, but I also want to dive into this amazing episode with the great Michael J. Flight, who is the founding principal of Concordia Realty Corporation in 1990, and more recently, the CEO of Liberty Real Estate Fund, the world's first net lease security token fund, which gives you stable and tradable private real estate. Michael is a real estate entrepreneur and blockchain real estate evangelist who is an expert in retail real estate, triple net shopping centers, triple net net leased 
investment, redevelopment, real estate tokenization, and real estate on the blockchain. He started his commercial real estate career back in 1985 and has extensive, has an extensive record in partnering with some of the world's most well-known banks, insurance companies, hedge funds, and institutional investors in many successful projects. Michael has been featured on CNBC Arabia, CEO Magazine, and quoted in Yahoo Finance, Crowdfund Insider, Crane's Chicago Business, and eCrypto News. Michael is co-host of the Nothing But Net show podcast, an educational podcast about triple net slash net lease properties and the blockchain real estate meetups. He's co-founder of the Blockchain Real Estate Summit, which is going to be held in September in Austin, Texas. He is also the well-known speaker, including engagements at Global Family Office Summit Dubai, Freedom Fest, Investor Summit at Sea, Multifamily Investor Network Conferences, LA Blockchain Summit, Intelligent Investors Real Estate Conference, Security Token Summit, and the Liberland Fifth Anniversary. Michael has been elected to public office serves as serves on the real estate investment advisory boards of two nonprofits and is the founding board member for freedom of life, a Romanian NGO, helping women achieve liberty and build new lives while recovering from human trafficking. And I'm going to tell you right now, today's episode is so, so good. And I'm so excited to welcome Michael J. Flight. Michael Flight, welcome to Elevate, my friend. How are you? Very good, Tyler and yourself. I'm amazing. In fact, you used the word fantastic before we started recording. So you know what? I'm feeling fantastic. I mean, even though we got some nasty weather outside in both of our locales, uh, that's okay. I feel good. How about you? Uh, well, I we're in the middle of a snowstorm, but I do like the snow because it always looks great when it first comes down. It's, you know, when it gets like, you know, muddy and slushy and everything else. So Right now, I'm, uh, you know, enjoying just, uh, you know, being alive and, you know, seeing snow. I love that. I think that's a good reminder for all of us is enjoy being alive, you know, and the good, the bad, the ugly. It's all about the attachment that we place to certain circumstances. You know, it, it can be sometimes it's like, well, is this good or bad? But ultimately, it's it's the part of life, right? Whether we have circumstances, whether it's snow or otherwise. So I appreciate that. But Michael, if you were to describe yourself in the way that people that know you best would describe you, how would they do so? Um, it could be a you know foul language, so I won't do that. But uh, <laughs> please don't. <laughs> uh, I, I would say that uh, you know I, I I do tend to amaze people, especially uh, younger people that I work with. They are always, um, you know, wondering, you know, where I come up with the ideas or, you know, how I happen to know what's going on in, in the world. Um, so that, in, and, uh, you know, uh, somebody that's, that's there and uh, dependable to, you know, hopefully finish a project and stuff. And then uh, the, one of the big things I get now, since I've got a lot of gray hair is uh, experienced. Mm -hmm. And, I, actually, and I, I also do like to be a mentor to people. So that's, you know, one of the things that I like to is mentoring and educating. I like how you described about, you know, folks, maybe even younger than you that work with you or for you will be amazed at some of the ideas that you have, maybe the connections that you have or being in the know about circumstances. So maybe if you could dive into that a little bit and talk to me about how that has become the case for yourself. Um, I don't know. It's just, uh, you know, wide ranging interest, uh, definitely doing a lot of reading 
and uh, you know, just just keeping up with things. And and uh, the the other thing is, I get a, a lot of information on different podcasts. Um, I really don't listen to a tremendous amount of real estate podcasts. I Me listen neither. to a, a lot of other types of podcasts because I'm more interested now. I, and, and it's not that I can't learn anything in real estate. There are some great real estate podcasts out there. It's just that I'm much more interested in learning how to apply other things happening in other businesses, you know, and how can you bring it into real estate? I totally agree. And I, I find that the pattern for folks who are kind of the most successful or making the most impact are folks who do pay attention to multidisciplinary learning. They're, be, they're paying attention to patterns that may not be directly uh, used in real estate or in, in their business, but they see and they observe patterns and they can apply and try. And they can also test out new ideas and new innovative ways of thinking. So I, I really appreciate that. But Michael, talk to me and the listeners about your background, your kind of upbringing and so forth, just to bring people up to speed with who you truly are as a person. Well, I uh, grew up in a working class neighborhood in the western suburbs of Chicago. I uh, went to a predominantly black high school. Um, you know, because of that, I you know got to go to school with Doc Rivers. But uh, oh, that's cool. Know, yeah, but uh, you know, and then went on to college. I thought I wanted to be a, a Lutheran pastor, and Greek and Hebrew were aside from God that I should not be a Lutheran pastor. So. Uh, my brother and I went to a nothing down seminar. And so we went in the guy said, Oh, you know, go to the back and buy the books and, you know, you can get into real estate and everything. And I was still in, in college at the time. Uh, and I didn't, wasn't able to figure out how to buy something, nothing down. Cause the first, you know, real estate broker we went to said, you guys need a job. So, <laughs> yeah, and, and they got you in the gonna, door, right? Nobody's going to sell you this stuff. But anyways, I, I went and took my, my broker's license classes and some other real estate classes at a community college while I was finishing up my, um, my uh, bachelor's degree and then graduated and got into commercial real estate brokerage, specifically uh, retail real estate, uh, which is leasing shopping centers and, you know, that type of thing. So not to date you, but mm -hmm. we're talking about 35 plus years ago, right? Yes, uh, I graduated college in 1986. Okay, got it. And so when you got started as a broker, you chose retail net or triple net lease properties, correct? Well, I yeah, one of the reasons why I went with retail real estate was because if you were in industrial or office, uh, you had to like go and knock on all these doors to get one lease versus retail, you could potentially do a lease, uh, a number of leases, like at the Chicago area is, you know, 3 million people. So you could mm -hmm. potentially do up to 20 leases with one tenant. So I figured I'll just uh, try and get the one tenant for 20 versus the, the 20 calls for one. I love that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And so when you got into the business, I would imagine being in a market like Chicago, you had to pick a very specific niche for you to be able to gain traction. Maybe you could tell me if that's wrong. Yeah, well, especially in, in commercial real estate, you have to go into you can't, there are general brokers out there, or I could have gone into, you know, house brokerage, but I didn't want to work on Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, <laughs> I'm with you. So, uh, and you know, there, there just it was, it, it's a much more, for lack of a better word, a professional type of a thing. You, 
you know, had to know something about business. And the really cool thing about being in retail real estate is you have to know a little bit about, you know, everybody's business. You not only have to know the real estate business, you have to know the zoning, you have to know, um, you know, what, what's legally allowed there. Mm -hmm. Uh, you have to know how to read a lease. There's all kinds of clauses in the tenant leases so that, uh, there's a non-competition clause. There's, you know, things where the tenant has a right to vacate and go dark if certain things happen like anchor tenants leave. So that's why you suddenly see some shopping centers completely empty out all at one time. Uh, but the other thing is you have to know a little bit about the tenant's business. So you have to know, you know, what a restaurant wants or why, you know, a Dunkin' Donuts or a Starbucks wants to be on the morning side of the road or, you know, just different things like that. Like uh, why, you know, shoe stores, their biggest, you know, time of the year is back to school and not during Christmas and why a lot of other retailers, their biggest time of the year is during Christmas. So it, it's just, uh, I, I've always been fascinated by the different, you know, groups, the entrepreneurs and, you know, some of the people that have grown just super huge, like Walmart. Mm -hmm. I would imagine uh, also as advising landlords, you truly need to understand uh, industries in many different capacities, right? To be able to advise and say, look, you know, this is a bet that you're making based on, you know, the, the viability of an industry over a period of the lease or the proposed period of the lease as well. Um, so you could correct me if I'm wrong there, but I'm also curious. No, no, you, you are right spot on on that because there's, you know, tenants, like, for example, we were looking at renewing one tenant, which, you know, was kind of on the bubble um, just recently. And they're a 25,000 square foot tenant. And uh, there was another tenant that was really interested in the shopping center, but they wanted us to put over a million and a half dollars, you know, into their space. So it's like, well, we've already got this tenant here. It's going to cost a lot less money to renew them. And we're not going to have all the construction risk or the risk of having a million and a half dollars into a new lease with a tenant that's pretty shaky too. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, so that's, you know, some of the stuff. It's, but you do also have to know, you know, uh, how to read a balance sheet and how to read a, a corporate report and, you know, how to do a financial analysis on a tenant especially since some of these leases are, you know, we, we did a, a few years ago, a, a Walgreens lease and it was 50 years. Yeah, this is a long-term commitment in, in many different capacities. So when I think about, you know, this, you know, when I think about your background and what you described yourself as, or as people would have described you, it's, it's being willing to learn, being willing to study many different you know, fields and many different thought processes out of real estate. And I can see how that all weaves together to create an ability to add value or to recognize value. And I love the niche that you chose because of how dynamic that is. But talk to me about the evolution of your real estate practice. And, and I know that you've evolved from being a broker to, you know, investor, developer, but give us a sense of what that's looked like. Sure. Well, I started out at, actually um, in college uh, helping a uh, resident, an apartment guy uh, kind of turn over. So he would buy and then one at a time upgrade the apartment. So I was actually, you know, doing labor and, and you know, supervising labor for the, the construction and the rehab of those apartments. And then moved into the brokerage side of it, uh, was hired by a national syndicator. They owned about 270 to 280 shopping centers nationwide. 
the you know savings and loan crisis happened in 1989-1990. I uh, I lost my job because you know they they were you know cutting back everybody and at the time it was a pretty big crash in commercial real estate. Uh, was fortunate enough that you know I said I I'm just going to start a company with a partner and you know we we started our company. Um, and had a bunch of, from the syndicator, had a bunch of relationships with people that went to work for insurance companies that went to work for a Dutch pension fund, you know, publicly traded consortium, uh, and ended up partnering with a lot of those people on our deals, you know, moving forward in the future. First of all, we started doing what's called workouts for, you know, financial institutions that with distressed properties. And then eventually ended up, you know, partnering with them to not only buy existing properties, but, you know, do new properties. And from there, uh, we've done a, a little bit of everything that you can do in retail from single tenant, uh, triple net properties to really small, uh, you know, four store strip centers anchored by a Starbucks to 800,000 square foot malls. And we were one of the first uh, groups in the country back in, you know, 1998, 99, that we were actually what's called demalling. And you're going to hear a lot about that. And a lot of people talk about it right now, taking uh, C and B class malls that are no longer viable and, you know, repurposing them, them to something else. And so, we basically um, did 3D maulings, you know, in our career. So, but uh, eventually, uh, you know, we're we're focused now, you know, pretty much 100% on single tenant triple net properties. We we have shopping centers that we have in our portfolio, but um, we're we're full speed ahead with the um, what we like to call necessity business type of single tenants. When I think about the evolution of your career, I simultaneously think about the evolution of retail real estate. You know, it's really interesting. I mean, because over the past 35 years, I mean, where retail real estate was then is vastly different than where it is now. And the use case is, is so different. And you talked about demalling just being as, as an example, because, you know, back in the eighties, I mean, you would have never really thought about something like that. And so I just think about that, but I would actually be curious if you were to kind of evaluate like all the ways, maybe not all, but many of the kind of highlight ways that retail real estate has evolved over the past three decades plus. I mean, what would you say about that? Oh, I, I've always said that, you know, when people kept saying that, you know, Amazon was going to, you know, destroy retail and all the rest of it, they said retail has always been evolving. I mean, you know, in the 1800s, it was, you know, Montgomery Wards and the Sears catalog, you know, and they were actually selling everything, including houses and, and all the rest of it. And then, you know, Sears and Montgomery Wards started going out and doing physical stores. And it, it's the same thing. You can see the evolution with Amazon. Amazon basically started out as an online catalog. And now they're opening up all kinds of physical stores, including they're, they're opening up bookstores. Uh, they not only own Whole Foods, but they're opening up Amazon Fresh. So mm -hmm. it, that's the, it, it's really constantly evolving. It evolved from you know, department stores and, you know, what they call high street retail, which is downtown retail to, you know, uh, in the 1980s, the biggest thing was power centers, which were, you know, all these big box retailers in, you know, a, a 400,000 to 500,000 square foot strip center. 
uh, to now, now you've, and then, you know, there's just all kinds of hybrid, but really retailers have been, and developers have been figuring out ways that, you know, attract people to shop. And the entire thing is, how do you attract people to shop? And I don't think physical retail is going to go away because people still want the experience of physical shopping. Uh, but there's all kinds of things now that retailers are doing. Like, for example, Walmart, um, you can buy online. You can buy online and pick up at the store. Uh, you could get it delivered um, or you could just go to the physical store. So, I mean, they're, they're just covering the gamut. And there's a lot of retailers out there that, uh, especially during COVID, have had to change, you know, the way they operate. And they're like, oh, well, we better get our online game going and we better get our what they call boat piss, which is buy online, pick up at store. Over the past three plus decades, retail has kept your attention. It's absorbed your bandwidth. You have continued to create and add value in so many different capacities. So give us the the case for retail, man. Why is that? Why has it been the case for you for it to remain your focus and your investment thesis? And why should others consider perhaps, you know, uh, either adding retail into their portfolio or expanding into retail themselves? Well, for me, it's the only thing I know. So I'm kind of trapped in it. But, Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I, I think retail, um, it, it takes a lot more to get into. So I, you know, have uh, with a partner, you know, bought and flipped about 150 single family homes in the Chicago area. We stopped doing that in about two, 2013. I've also done, you know, apartments and, you know, owned office buildings and things like that. Uh, so retail takes more of a specialized knowledge. So you need to, to get into it. But I think the returns there, um, you can get into some retail centers right now, um, you know, seven and eight cap versus, you know, some of the multifamily things you're looking at that, you know, aren't. Uh, you're, you're getting in at like a three cap and hoping that, you know, there's cap rate compression. So uh, that's one of the things about retail real estate. The other thing about retail real estate is um, it can be very glamorous. So uh, we've had um, movies made at our shopping centers. So for example, that's one cool. shopping center in Berwyn, Illinois, uh, is in the movie Wayne's World. So when they're driving around the beginning, the car's up on a spike. That's that's in our shopping. Well, that was in our shopping center. We took that out. How cool then, is that? Yeah. And then we had a really bad shopping center, which was one of the ones we were demauling out in New Jersey. And so the Sopranos, every time they were in a mall, would shoot in our shopping center because they knew they wouldn't be disturbed by shoppers. <laughs> oh, wow. So if anything, you're not creating cash flow, but you're on the, you're on the show. So that's, that's all that matters. <laughs> well, no, they, they do pay location fees. Oh, do they? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So even in Wayne's world, they paid. Yeah. Yeah. How interesting is that? So, yeah. um, wow. There's, so there's many different ways to monetize other than obviously optimizing your leases and so forth. But Talk to me about when you're looking at a deal. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm, we're talking about evaluating the industry. It's kind of like the, the the high level thought process. Then you're going to evaluate the particular tenant and you know potential tenant there. But you know, thinking from looking at a an, a site to invest in, right before you're thinking about leasing or maybe the property's got some value add components. I mean, what exactly are you looking for? Are you looking for traffic counts? Are you looking for demographics? Psychographics, are you looking for job growth, population growth? What exactly are you looking for 
Um, and I know every deal is unique, but I'd just be curious what your thought process is. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor, then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities, are seeking tax optimized cash flow with appreciation upside without all the hassles of management you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line, 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcapllc.com. And now please enjoy the rest of the show. Well, we're, we're looking for all of that. So traffic counts are important. The, the most important important thing though is you can have a shopping center right next to you know an expressway that gets a hundred thousand cars a day but if people can't get into it so access is one of the biggest things and then the other uh, biggest thing is visibility because the tenants depend on uh, for example why we like single tenant net lease properties is the actual building is like a giant billboard you know they get their own branding they get their own you know so you know that when you're driving down the street, you see a Dollar Tree or, you know, a, um, a Walgreens or, you know, something like that, you know, or like the, you know, golden arches of McDonald's. It's, you know, it's there and you know what it is and you know what you're getting. So tenants want visibility. They want access. Um, so th- those are the biggest parts. Um, and then you want to make sure that it's zoned properly because there's some things that are, you know, zoned. So for example, a lot of tenants are now going to drive through. Um, so you want to make sure that you can put a drive through in because there's a lot of, you know, municipalities out there right now that don't want the traffic and they think that drive throughs generate more traffic. So, you know, they, they don't allow it or, it, the one of the things we look for is if a property already has an existing drive-through, um, because it's you know you don't have to go through and get that zoning. So are, are tenants looking for drive-throughs as a result more so because of the pandemic, or is that something that you were already seeing prior to COVID? You know what, like ten or fifteen years ago, I can't remember how many years ago, but we knew that if you were buying a shopping center and you were evaluating a shopping center to purchase and it had a Walgreens or a CVS in line, which is in the body of the shopping center, we knew that if you didn't have the space to put them on an out parcel, they were going to leave because they all, that was their business model, having a drive-through. Um, then, you know, the, there, there was a lot of other tenants that figured out, it's like, Hey, I can do a drive-through too. And they were messing around with it, but the pandemic insanely accelerated everybody's drive-through. And so mm-hmm. now you're even seeing Chipotle and, um, Steak Shack and all those other guys, um, absolutely demanding a drive-through because, you know, they were closed while the guys with the drive-through right next to them were open during the pandemic in certain states. So talk to me about a couple of things. I want to know about um, deal sourcing, where you're finding deals today, and also how you're structuring your deals. And I'm sure every deal is unique. And I'm sure the way that you source your every deal is a bit unique. But give us a, a sense of a few of the different top sources as well as deal structures that that you look for in terms of financing, equity, and debt. Well, in 
retail real estate, there's a really active market with brokers and there's really great brokers out there across the country. Um, and a lot of them are, uh, you know, the independent boutique broker, brokers, uh, especially with net lease properties, net lease properties, probably uh, 80% of all the properties. And there's a lot of volume in net lease properties. So there's, a, there's you know, just an active thriving market in net lease properties. But um, you know, probably 80% of those are through a broker. Then some of the stuff that you know, we've sourced through, we've actually had tenants come to us and say, hey, you know, we've got a landlord here. He's looking to sell. He's not really the greatest landlord in the world. Or we've had it say, this guy is not really the greatest landlord in the world. He wants to do you know, a redevelopment on the property. He doesn't know what he's doing. Um, so could you come and talk to him? And so we've ended up, you know, doing a joint venture with one landlord that way and, and buying two of our shopping centers that way, you know, the, and the great thing is, or there, there was one where the tenant says, I want to be at this, you know, at, at this, you know, intersection. And um, do you think you can, you know, buy the shopping center because there's a vacancy there and then, you know, we can work with that. Mm -hmm. So as far as your deal structuring, I mean, I'm sure every deal is unique in terms of the way that you're financing those deals, but the way that you're, you know, providing equity as well. Are you just actively investing? Are you syndicating deals? Do you have a fund structure or what does that look like? Well, um, we, on the shopping center side, we had syndicated uh, the individual deals or uh, up until about 2017, we partnered with institutional investors. So we've partnered with insurance companies, we partnered with hedge funds, uh, we've partnered with, as I said before, um, you know, publicly traded companies, REITs, um, and private equity groups. So, and we've had, you know, a long-term partnership, 32 years now in one shopping center with a family office, so. I love it, man. Yeah. You're, you're, you're really wetting my beak and getting me uh, more and more excited about retail real estate. One of the things I always think about when I think about retail real estate is like, man, Chick-fil-A has got to be the, the cream of the crop in terms of tenants. Right. And I think of their cap rates and from what I understand are the most compressed. Yeah. Uh, they're, prep. they're crazy. They're like four caps. Yeah. yeah it's insane. Yeah. I mean, but you know, you think about the safety of that tenant, uh, you know, you would probably be willing to bet on that in terms of, man, the volume is crazy. But one thing I was actually curious about was, let's just say an investor is saying, you know what, this is interesting for me. I want to buy a triple net property, you know, no landlord responsibilities. All I got to deal with is structure and roof, perhaps over, you know, the course of a 15 or 20 year period with a credit tenant. You know, that sounds a lot better than dealing with tenants, termites and toilets. Right. And so um, with that said, one thing that I've thought about, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this is let's say we buy a property that has got a brand new lease, a 20 year lease, it's triple net and all the responsibilities are hands off and it's a reasonable cap rate. One of the things that I think about is, all right, well, let's just say five years into the deal. Well, we've lost five years of that lease and obviously that's great. We still have 15 to go, but it's not as valuable as it was when it's 20. So are we looking at a diminishing value or what's the thought process in terms of that type of investment? Okay, um, well, if it's a triple net lease, um, the tenant pays for the taxes, the insurance, and the maintenance. Uh, so you can remember that by the acronym TIM. Uh, and so you don't, if it's a true triple net lease, you don't have to even do the roof or anything else. The tenant does everything. 
And then the other great thing about triple net leases is a lot of these tenants will just send you directly, instead of even a check, an ACH payment directly into your bank account. And it hits your bank account anywhere from five days to the exact, you know, first of the month. So that's the really nice thing about triple net leases, because you're dealing with major corporations that um, have credit ratings that they don't want screwed up. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing of what you're talking about on a 20 year lease, except for dollar generals, which typically do like a 15 year lease and it's a flat lease, which, which is kind of why we avoid dollar generals. Um, most other tenants have, you know, incremental, um, escalations in their lease. So for example, uh, the Walgreens will normally, or any of the other major tenants will normally have a rent escalation uh, every five years. Uh, and then uh, a lot of the auto service tenants or medical tenants, uh, for example, a DeVita or you know somebody like that, they might have rent escalations every year. That makes a lot of sense. That's actually really helpful. I mean, if you think about it, it's like we have to have that, especially in today's day and age with the level of inflation that we're dealing with. And you should always be anticipating that with the fiat currency that we have. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but even if you didn't have inflation, you you would never want to do a 15 year flat lease because you know that, you know, that even when there wasn't like this type of inflation, the dollar was always decreasing. So, Mm -hmm. and so thinking of it from an investor standpoint to say, all right, well, of course we're increasing our cash flow. However, if I'm going to, let's just say I'm going to exit in five to seven years or five to 10 years, or maybe it's, maybe it's not that maybe that's the difference in this type of investment is that you're typically going to stick around for a little bit longer, perhaps, but I'd like to know, I mean, are you typically looking at an amortization schedule that's similar to the length of the initial lease in a single tenant property, or is that a, is that the wrong way to look at it? it um you talking about in terms of uh the 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 loan or the depreciation the loan okay um the loan that the the lender is typically not going to lend to you past the expiration date even if the tenant has options so the so if you've got like a five-year lease the lender is typically only going to loan for the five years and they might not even you know be willing to loan on that because you know, uh, if you don't do something about renewing the tenant in year, you know, four, uh, they might be stuck with a vacant property. Mm-hmm. You know, so they don't <laughs> want to take that back. Yeah. Uh, so, so the so the 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 lending schedule is typically if you've got you know ten years left on the lease, you know, it might be a seven year you know loan or, mm-hmm. but the amortization is, is you know twenty five years or twenty years. Got so, it. Got it. Um, but the other thing is, is that you, you want to make sure that's that's why you want to make sure, number one, that you have a good financial credit on the tenant. Um, and most importantly, what we really look for is you have a great location because you can buy, you know, these dollar stores and some other, like restaurants and stuff in the middle of, you know, Kentucky, not Louisville, Kentucky, but in, in certain places where you've never heard of in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And you can get them at a nine cap and it looks really great. Right. But, you know, if the tenant leaves, you know, you're never going to replace that rent. So you need to make sure that, you know, you've got a replaceable rent and it's within market and there's going to be demand for the real estate. That's a really good point. I always try to think of, well, what's the worst case scenario for an investment? And then what would my 
contingency plan A, B, and C, B. And is that viable? Is that realistic in the marketplace? I feel like that's almost the critical question that you need to ask yourself in retail. Yeah, yeah. And you just have to be aware of what a good retail piece of retail real estate is. And then you have to, as you said, you want to see like growing demographics. You want to see, um, you know, other things. You want to see some sort of industry growth around it to support it. Um, or the what retail really likes, retail follows rooftops. Mm. So if there's expanding rooftops, then retail is going to go with it. That's a good rule of thumb. I appreciate that. Michael, I want to transition and kind of uh, switch gears a bit. And uh, I want to talk about blockchain and real estate, man, because uh, this to me is very exciting. But I'd be, actually be curious. I mean, when did you realize that blockchain was an opportunity to leverage in real estate? Um, I realized, well, I didn't real, quite realize that I couldn't get the concept of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Um, and I always tell people I went to a public school, so I don't do math very well. <laughs> um, and I'm like, you know, isn't Bitcoin just an algorithm? Now I'm, I'm not, you know, dismissing Bitcoin and we can talk about that a little bit, but I'm just, when I was originally, I, I first heard about Bitcoin in 2014, I didn't understand anything. I really, you know, heard about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, uh, and got, you know, was around a lot of smart people in like 2016 and 2017, and then got involved with a project where these guys were um, doing, uh, putting a coin out that was going to be backed by Airbnb rentals in Bucharest, Romania. And he's wow, got- Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, these, and these guys actually like raised, you know, money with this. I'm like- uh, if these guys are raising money with this and, you know, and then, um, like I said, I, you look at the violent, um, you know, uh, price pattern of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And I said, I, I would, why wouldn't you just back, you know, the cryptocurrency with real estate? Because you'd get something that's tangible, you get something with cash flow. And I'm like, why wouldn't you do crypto with cash flow versus these other things? that are, are kind of a software project. And then the other thing that, you know, I started saying is why not make a real estate stable coin? And then what's the most stable properties that you can get uh, net lease properties because they're basically bonds wrapped in real estate. So mm -hmm. if you could combine what I know about net lease properties and put that into a cryptocurrency, um, then you've got, you know, like I said, a real estate stable coin, you've got, you know, cryptocurrency backed by hard assets and real leases and real companies. So Michael, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that you're describing tokenization, right? In real estate. Yes. Yes. Um, but so walk us through that. What is that? What is tokenization in real estate? Well, the tokenization can be two separate things. So what we are doing and what our fund is, is a 506C fund. Uh, so it's regulated by the SEC. It's completely legally compliant uh, and it's a security token. So uh, it is a, the normal shares in a uh, syndication are actually what's called tokenized and issued to a blockchain. So it's everything exactly the same as a normal syndication, except these shares can now trade. And so after a one-year lockup period, those shares can trade to both accredited and non-accredited investors. 
Meaning so, that they're liquid during the hold period of the deal. So if an investor wants to buy in and they say, well, my share has gone up in value, I can exit like I would a stock or a cryptocurrency, right? Exactly. Exactly. I, I, you know, and a lot of people lead with liquidity. I say that I don't know how liquid these are, are going to be, but they're going to be more liquid than if you went into a normal syndication. Because makes you, sense. You, you could either trade peer to peer, which means that um, if I had a hundred thousand dollars or, you know, and you know, which uh, our fund is $10,000 per share. And I wanted to sell you $50,000 of that. And you said, yeah, I'm interested and I'll pay $50,000 for it. As long as you put up your money and I put up the shares, the trade automatically goes through because it's, you know, governed by what's called a smart contract. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, and then it, if that, if you can't sell your shares that way, you can list them with a, um, a securities broker, a broker dealer. You could also, there's these things out there uh, that are one step below exchanges. They're called ATSs or automatic trading systems. And for digital assets, I think there's probably now about 10 in the United States that are fully licensed and regulated. Uh, so real estate is trading on some of those now. And then there's full-blown exchanges like um, INX and T0. So there's actually uh, a Ritz-Carlton in Aspen, Colorado, it's, it, and they uh, did a security token for it. It's called Aspen Coin, and it's trading right now. Uh, I think it's above uh, par value uh, on T0. So those are security tokens. You can also tokenize like an individual house. And uh, I like to explain that if you're tokenizing individual houses, those would be called NFTs, which are non-fungible tokens because each house is different versus securities where all the securities are the same. So. Yeah, man, there's a lot there. But um, I, so one one just taking a step back question. First of all, how long have you been doing this? Uh, how long have you been utilizing the blockchain with real estate acquisitions? Um, we we just actually started putting the fund together in 2019. It took us a long time to get the legal and the accounting stuff mm -hmm. worked out because we in 2017, I thought you could do what's called an IP or an ICO, which is initial coin offering. Mm -hmm. And then I found out that that's illegal. Um, so <laughs> don't yeah, do that. because you're, you're selling a security. So, and the SEC is even, you know, making noise about Ethereum being, you know, potentially a security, which, you know, would be a bad thing. Well, so that's um, why your fund is a 506C now. So you yes. are registered. Yeah, we're, we're, you know, we wanted to be legally compliant and, you know, I didn't need to get fined or get thrown in jail in the U.S. since the properties are in the U.S. Yeah. So walk the listeners through the difference between, you know, an ICO or, you know, a coin or a token and an NFT, because you just described how an individual house could be a non-fungible token, but describe the differences there. Well, a non-fungible token means that no one token is the same. Um, and I am not an expert on NFTs and I really don't follow NFTs too much, but, um, in a piece of art can be an NFT, uh, the things that, uh, people in, in musicians are probably going to be taking advantage of a lot more is, um, they're going to be selling their music as NFTs and also tickets 
will probably be NFTs. So not yep. only will you get special. So and the, the thing for the artist is, is that if you resell the, you know, the the music, they could still get a cut of every time you sell it. If you resell the ticket, they could they, you know, control the ticket. But the other cool thing is, is that you could get a special art piece that that, you know, non-fungible ticket, just like you know, uh, when I went to Led Zeppelin and I you know, never saved the uh, the ticket stubs, um, you know, that could have been like worth a, a whole lot of money, you know, right now. So, yeah. And and I, from what I understand, the Dallas Mavericks are utilizing NFTs for uh, ticket sales. And they're actually, you know, there's a, a whole ecosystem where people can, you know, sell their NFTs, which are the tickets and the organization can, you know, generate more revenue through that as well. So there's this whole new ecosystem, but is that the variable, obviously that it's a unique um, entity in itself and there's no other that's like it. And the fact that there's sort of this double layer of revenue creation that can be created through NFTs. I mean, the, the one thing that right now, I, I could go on and on about blockchain. Blockchain is going to disintermediate uh, a lot of things. It's going to also, so for example, the guy that created Aspen Coin with the Aspen, mm-hmm. he, you know, added that you know you could have special perks so that you could pre-buy rooms uh, at a special discount and use those rooms at any time. Uh, there's other people that are like doing certain things and you could even do, um, you know, with your investment token. So let's say you were doing uh, workforce housing, you could create a workforce and, you know, investment housing fund, you know, with security tokens, but you could add, you know, a special thing onto there that uh, maybe somebody could save money to buy a house in there, or you could have special privileges, you know, if you pay your rent on time. So, you know, it would, I would like liken it to airline miles. Um, you could build loyalty programs, you know, inside of, you know, certain real estate investments. And there's one really cool security token um, that these guys did. It was in the Dominican Republic. And so if, it, and it was a, a resort, a golf resort in the Dominican Republic, and it was it was sold as a security token. Uh, it was not available to U.S. investors. But the key thing is, is that if you invested two hundred fifty thousand dollars or more, uh, and you paid a little bit extra, you could be on your way to Dominican Republic citizenship and Dominican wow. public residency. But the the and a lot of people say, well, you know, especially if they live in the United States or Europe, why do I need that? Well, there's all kinds of other people in the world from Turkey, from Pakistan, from, you know, different parts of the world that don't have visa-free access in the United States. So they have to apply for a visa to get in. But if you've got Dominican uh, Republic uh, citizenship, you've got visa-free access to the United States and to Europe. Interesting. Yeah, there's so many different ways that you can add value, which to me is almost the theme of really your career as an investor is identifying ways to add value, identify value, create arbitrage and so forth. But when I think about real estate tokenization, I mean, I remember talking to my friend Neil Bawa on the, on, on the podcast and he's like, man, 
tokenization within five years is going to completely revolutionize real estate and everything that we see today is going to be completely turned upside down within five years. So first of all, I'd be curious if you agree with that. And second of all, why is it important for investors to pay attention to tokenization and blockchain and real estate? Well, I like to argue with Neil, but on this, you know, on, on this thing, Neil's 100% spot on. We've talked, you know, a few times. I've, you know, talked with people in his company about it. Um, he's going to make a, a major push into it, I believe, because um, he's a, a technology guy and he sees that, you know, um, the in people get stuck on the NFT part of it, which I think, you know, at some point you're not even going to know it's an NFT. You're just going to be buying a ticket and you're not going to know that there's a blockchain there either. Uh, so, because right now um, you don't know what the mail protocol is for sending an email, which is SMTP or something like that. Mm -hmm. or you, you know, don't really care that HTML is, you know, what the, the internet is operating on. All you care about is, is that this video is going through or that your email goes through. In the same way, blockchain is exactly like the internet, but instead of instantaneous communication throughout the world, the blockchain provides instantaneous transfer of value, currency or money, or also assets. Love it. And I think the listeners should just re-listen to that because that was very instructive and, and simple. You know, you don't have to overwhelm yourself by thinking that this is just, you know, some sci-fi movie. I mean, really, it's it, there's there's some simple principles that you could describe there. But when I think about blockchain and I think about all the revolutions that are happening right now, not only in technology, but also in currency, you know, you've been you you mentioned several times Bitcoin and we've been talking about uh, stable coins with real estate and so forth. But Give me a sense of your take. I mean, is Bitcoin going to become the reserve currency of the world in the future? I mean, where do you think this is going? Well, I, I as I told you before, I, early on, I didn't understand Bitcoin. And I just said, well, it just seems to me like it's a software program and it's a fiat currency based on a software program. I didn't understand, you know, the whole algorithm and, and all the rest of it. So um, I now understand Bitcoin much better, and I, I do believe that Bitcoin is going to, it, Bitcoin right now is like digital gold, mm -hmm. because right now you can own gold, but if there's a revolution or something that happens in the United States, um, it's going to be really tough to truck your gold out of, and leave the country, versus if you have Bitcoin, Bitcoin is actually outside the financial system. So it is in its own financial system. So the really cool thing, like I was talking about with our you know, uh, particular fund, you could receive your monthly payments as an ACH payment directly to your bank, or you could take your money as a um, USD stablecoin, or you could take it in Ethereum. But the key thing with the USD stablecoin or those other things is you get outside the banking system. You actually own your own money. And then the other really cool thing is, is that you could deposit your stable coin in, you know, something like BlockFi. We have an agreement with BlockFi and you not only get the returns from the real estate, but you get the extra returns from BlockFi. So instead of going to the bank where you have to actually pay them $30 a month for the account and they give you 0.5%, 
Uh, BlockFi is, I think, right now six to eight percent, you know, on USD. Mm-hmm. So, but the key thing, like I said, is that's outside the banking system. And then if you move it into something like Bitcoin or something like that, it's really outside the banking system as long as you control your stuff in your own wallet and don't leave it on an exchange. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, you're starting to see that across the world where athletes, politicians, um, CEOs are requesting to be paid in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. And so it's interesting that what you're saying is that you give your investors the opportunity to say, hey, look, you want to receive your distributions in, in US dollars, cash, or do you want to receive it in a different way? And so now people have more options. How are you actually facilitating that? I'd just be curious. Is it through that, That's facilitated through our... our um our, uh, our, our portal, which, um, is securitized mm-hmm. and securitize is our tokenization platform. And they're also, you know, our, our, our portal. So they, you know, we, they do like all the smart contracts and, and things like that. So, um, uh, that that's, and, and they have those arrangements, uh, so that they can do that. But the other thing that I really like to tell people is financial freedom is upstream of political freedom. Mm. So if you don't have uh, control of your finances or if somebody can shut your finances off, you don't have political freedom. So that's why I advocate to everybody that they should at least tip their toe into buying some Bitcoin now. Um, I believe that it's going to go up. I, if you look at the value of gold right now, I think it's around 16 to $18 trillion. I can't remember. Um, and if you realize that all these large institutions are telling their investors, like Fidelity just came out with another thing, uh, talking about, you know, how you should have at least 5% of your money in Bitcoin. Wow. Um, so there's all these institutions pushing it. Um, if you take a look at, there's only going to be 21 million Bitcoin and you like divide that by even 10 billion or 10 trillion, uh, y- your Bitcoin is about a million dollars a piece. Yeah, man, it's a, uh, it's a really interesting time. I mean, I, you just look around and if you just apply a lot of common sense and you think about what the fed has done to the fiat currency exactly. in this country and across the world, you know, we got to start questioning that and recognize that, you know, it's not prices going up, it's value of each dollar going down. And we're talking about a tremendous reduction in value. So I love that financial freedom is upstream of political freedom. And it's about getting ahead of this and recognizing that we're in a time of extreme change. So what is your prediction? I mean, where, where do you project this going? I mean, do you, do you think that we're going to be seeing some massive change in terms of currency across the world? I don't make any predictions on that. Um, I, you know, I, I, the either the dollar is going to collapse or the dollar is going to limp along. Um, you know, the, the dollar is pretty much uh, in the Fed. The reason why the Fed, you know, threw all this money uh, out in just covered everything during COVID is because they literally are the lender of last resort. Right. Uh, so in 2007, 2008, 2009, uh, 
they ended up, you know, covering euro dollars over in Europe with European banks that, you know, had nothing to do with the Federal Reserve System. And that, you know, just expanded there that they, you know, now, like during COVID just said, we're going to cover all money market, we're going to cover the stock market, we're going to cover all bonds, we're going to cover municipal bonds. I mean, they literally are the backstop. Um, so that's the entire world, fin you know, financial system. Um, I don't know how you extricate yourself out of there. Hopefully it'll go slow. Um, but, you know, because it, if it does collapse, it's it's collapsing everything. So, yeah, no, no but, question. But the other thing is you want to hedge for, you know, political risk. You want to hedge for financial risk. Um, just get some of your money outside the banking system. You know, I and agree. if they're telling you, I, I even heard the other day that, uh, the IMF was telling uh, El Salvador, which is, you know, accepting, uh, you know, Bitcoin as currency and also doing Bitcoin, you know, bonds. Uh, they're like, well, you know, this really doesn't sound like a good idea. And, you know, it's like, well, if the IMF is telling them not to do it, it's probably a good idea to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right, man. Well, this is this is a very insightful thought process and just appreciate you giving us the opportunity to kind of dive into the way that you look at this. And I think it's important for all of us to recognize that, you know, there, there's going to be sort of, a, I, I believe, a redevelopment of the way that commerce is exchanged in the future. And it's not going to be, hey, everything's just going to be decimated and it's just going to be ground zero everywhere. There's going to be, you know, a new rising of of players, I think, based on those circumstances. And I, to me, I think it's exciting, right? This can create opportunity, like challenges create opportunity. And this is not an easy circumstance to evaluate. I mean, we're talking about inflation. We're talking about stagflation. We're talking about deflation. We're talking about, you know, uh, supply chains that are in disarray, like all across the world. And so, you know, there's winds flying in every direction. So the question is, all right, well, how can we kind of swim upstream and thinking about, you know, how can we create financial freedom? It's about, you know, what, what store of value are we focusing on? And we're, we're talking about real assets, whether it's, you know, triple net lease properties, net lease properties, whatever type of real estate in addition to these other resources. But is there anything that you would add to that, Michael? I, I would, you know, my thing that I always tell everybody is keep your options open. So the more options you have, the more you could do. Uh, so, you know, I would look into, you know, maybe getting a, a different, you know, citizenship or, you know, something like that, just to expand your investment options. So you don't have to act on anything, but, you know, uh, as a worst case scenario, if you're in that position, uh, I would say that if you're just starting out and, you know, just trying to do this, um, just buy a little bit of Bitcoin, um, get some experience with working with a wallet and all the rest of it. And then, you know, you'll, you'll stick your toe into it and then, um, be careful with a lot of the cryptocurrencies. Cause there's a lot of stuff out there. I really only invest in layer one projects, which are basically the networks. So they're like the Verizon and the AT&T of, you know, uh, cryptocurrency. So they're actually, there to transfer value, to transfer assets and, and things like that. That's a good point. And I, I think about the people that know much more about cryptocurrency than myself will advise me and, and others, hey, look, 99% plus of these cryptocurrencies are garbage and they will not last and they will not stick around. So make sure you do your homework, of course, but be willing to kind of dive in and learn because I think the only way you can truly learn 
is to actually get involved. And um, that's that's super valuable advice. But Michael, this and, has and been- well, a, Just what, one more thing. I'm please. sorry to interrupt you, but uh, friends don't let friends buy dog coins. <laughs> that's exactly right. And if you want a dog coin, I created one. So <laughs> Did you really? Yeah, it's my Rhodesian Ridgeback. It's the lucky dog coin. Is anybody buying it? No, I, I haven't sold it. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, it's. I think digging down to the technology is important, right? And understanding what what's actually the use case here. And uh, instead of like buying a stock and just saying, "Look, we're just going to ride it to the moon," it's like, well, what's the what's the theory behind it, right? What are, what's our exactly. what, how are we evaluating this business? So, uh, exactly. what a concept, right, Michael? Uh, <laughs> Michael, I want to transition to the rapid fire section of the podcast. We call it the rare air questionnaire. It's all about being uncommon. I think what you've shared with us today is somewhat uncommon in many different ways, but you've been able to design a life and an investment strategy that has been uncommon as well and in a very good way. So I want to ask you a few things. If you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? Uh, I I really can't. um, I, I read about... 50 books a year. So it's, it's hard. To, it's hard, right. And I really, I, I will say that a lot of the books that I read are history and, um, you know, things that aren't necessarily business related. I, I will say that, you know, one of the more impactful books in my life was a mentor of mine gave me right when I was around, you know, 35 or 40, I can't remember now, uh, halftime by Bob Buford. And it's taking your life from success to significance. So it's, you, you've made a little bit of money now. Um, what are you going to do to, you know, improve the world or, you know, improve, you know, your community or what, how are you adding value to people? Mm, I like that. Yeah. That makes me think of, um, it's, it's almost the second mountain. There's another book similarly called the second mountain, uh, where it's about, instead of just focusing on myself and how can I make more and, you know, take my career and business to the next level, it's how can I, you know, offer value to the world, have purpose, have fulfillment through contributing and growth and all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's awesome. We'll put a link in the show notes as to where the listeners can find halftime and, um, Michael, if you had to point to the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis, what would you say about that and why? Uh, getting up early and uh, spending time in uh, prayer with God and uh, just quiet time and, you know, that. And then also making sure that I'm writing daily uh, just to, so that's, that's really improved my life a lot. Is that just like journaling or what is the writing? Some of it's like? journaling or some of it's, you know, committing to, you know, writing an article or writing, you know, pieces for my book or, you know, just different things like that. Mm-hmm. Is that because it helps you think clearer when you just go through that practice or what is it about writing that has helped you? Oh, so you know, you, you, you brought up a good point. So writing, um, just like trying to explain things, uh, it, it focus, especially explaining some of the blockchain thing and and some of the real estate stuff, Um, instead of glossing over and assuming everybody knows everything that I'm talking about, it's like, how can I get this as simple as possible? Mm -hmm. And so uh, it really helps clarify so that when I do talk to people, I can come up with concrete examples of why um, this particular, what a net lease is, why, you know, and so it really 
helps clarify so that when you want to teach somebody, you want to educate somebody, or when you're on a panel or somebody, you know, invites me to, to do a talk on, you know, blockchain real estate or triple net, I can explain it so that almost everybody can understand it. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, I, I at least try that. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Michael? Um, I like to encourage people. I like to, you know, try to keep people positive. I um, like to um, actually criticize people when they're negative on themselves uh, because, you know, a, a lot of times they have a ton of potential and they just keep talking about, you know, how bad things are. <laughs> um, and uh, so that's in, like I said, I like to educate people. I really, really, you know, enjoy explaining things to people that I know about. And I really enjoy listening to people that are talking to me about stuff that I don't understand. Man, I have vastly enjoyed uh, being educated by you today and, and engaging in this conversation. I feel like it's getting clear uh, for me and I hope it is for, for many of the listeners as well. But Michael, I wanna acknowledge you, man. You're a pioneer in so many different ways, uh, not only in this business, um, but in the way that you look at the world and the way that you apply different thinking and multidimensional, multidisciplinary uh, learnings, whether it's through reading history or observing what's going on across the world and applying that in your own business, but giving that to so many other people, man, that is so powerful. And I just want to acknowledge you because I know it hasn't been easy. I know it takes a lot of courage and um, you deserve to be acknowledged and called out for that. So kudos to you, my friend. Um, is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? Um, well, I just, you don't want to say that if you're interested in blockchain real estate, um, this is kind of a shameless plug. We have put together the Blockchain Real Estate Summit. It's September 22nd and 24th. We did one last year. And the reason why we did it was because we want to educate people. And we realized that um, there's not going to be a ton of movement on it unless there's education for real estate specific. So there's a lot of blockchain stuff out there, but there's not a lot about if you are a syndicator or a sponsor or an investment fund, how do you do this? If you are an investor wanting to evaluate security token offerings or stuff, how do you look at it? So we put together last year a one-day event, and we went from start to finish, as you know, starting with the attorneys and the accountants. You know, it's early in the morning. Uh, <laughs> I hope so. And then you know, going through how these things can trade and, and things like that, and you know, how you get liquidity and some of the, the liquidity providers out there. So uh, if you're interested in that, we we do that. It's blockchainrealestatesummit.com. And then if you're interested in learning more about you know, net lease properties, we have the nothing but net podcast. Um, so and it's really focuses completely on on net lease. Uh, the great thing is, is that I've met so many people over the years that have tons of experience that you're going to hear people on our podcast that you haven't heard on another podcast, because they're just specific to what they do. And they do it really well. And they've got a lot of a high level of experience. So yeah. that and we also have a lot of, um, you know, information on our website, libertyfund.io, about net lease properties and how to evaluate them. And like I say, we just try to create a lot of education for people because it's a different um, than what a lot of investors are, are normally doing, which is multifamily or, you know, self-storage or some of those other things. It's a completely different animal. Mm -hmm. So. 
So in other words, Michael, you're not really up to much. Uh, you don't really have much <laughs> going on. So uh, no, that's awesome. We'll put links in the show notes as to where the listeners can find more about the uh, Blockchain Real Estate Summit, which is going to be September 23rd and 24th in Austin, Texas, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And uh, we'll also put a link in the show notes as to where the listeners can find michaeljflight.com, where you can learn more about Michael and what he does, as well as libertyfund.io if you want to learn more about his fund. And we talked about that today, of course, as to where you can find Michael on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and otherwise, and Twitter. Uh, but Michael, man, this was awesome. I look forward to part two. I look forward to um, taking this flag and running with it uh, in terms of applying tokenization and blockchain and real estate in my own way. I hope the listeners do as well. But Michael, until next time, my friend, thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much, Tyler. Elevate Nation, did you have half as much fun as I did? Because I hope you did. And uh, I got to tell you that I learned so much. And there's so much that we are digging into as an investment firm. I know internally uh, with CF Capital. And I think we've all got to be paying attention to the changes that we're experiencing in this world. If we want to continue to be relevant, we want to continue to have the ability of adding value. If we want to continue to have the ability of living a life with financial freedom. Um, and political freedom up, up at the end of the day, it's, it is about that swimming upstream and recognizing that uh, it is first about creating that financial freedom. So how can we create and keep financial freedom? And I think today's episode was really a clue towards that in a big, big way. And it's very exciting, the opportunities that we have. It's very scary and dangerous to not recognize the opportunities and the level of change that we are experiencing today. So I want to encourage you to identify your top one, two, or three takeaways from this episode. What are some things that shocked you? What are some of the things that surprised you? What are some of the things that you're curious about that you want to learn more about? Maybe you're confused about. Maybe you need to go and do some more research. That could be a takeaway. That could be a distinction. So what are what are your distinctions? What are your takeaways? I want to encourage you to discuss those with someone else and debate those with someone else, disagree with someone else, be open to questioning your beliefs and understanding and, and uncovering new realities of, you know, of new possibilities just by exploring, by learning, by growing. And uh, that all comes through discussion. So I want to encourage you to have a discussion. I also want to encourage you to re-listen to the show because you're going to learn, you will you are going to learn twice as much by listening to this episode twice. I also want to encourage you to make a plan for taking action because ultimately the only power that's going to come from this investment in your time is by making a plan to take massive action on what you learned today. So with all that said, Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. We really appreciate the opportunity to provide this to you. And until next time, Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.